All personnel, please report to the quarantine zone. This is not a test. A new episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is about to begin. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine's Drinking Coffee. I'm your moderator, Mark Mernan, and once again, I'm joined here in Combat Headquarters, Coronavirus Central. Actually, we're free of coronavirus here. That's right. Well, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully, here we are at Cornerstone Church. I'm here once again with my comrades-in-arms here, Andrew Jacobson, pastor of Sand Harbor Presbyterian Church in Jupiter, Florida, and Wes Lover. Unaccounted for. <laughs> Wes Lover, pastor of Cornerstone Community Church, Presbyterian Church in the community of Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. There we go. And gentlemen, we are back in back in action here. Yes. Uh, last week had a fascinating uh, discussion. Here we're going to follow this up this week on the topic of the omnipotence and sovereignty of God as we continue with the incommunicable attributes of communicable. God. The communicable. 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 Yes. But I'm not omnipotent. No, that's a good question, though. It's So we're going to discuss. Yeah. And so the, the incommunicable attributes are attributes in which we, there is no analogy of those in the creature at all. We have nothing in us that relates to it. Like God's eternality. Sure. His self-existence. Nothing about us that relates to that. But with the communicable, it doesn't mean we um, share them as if, like, you know, God's 99% strong and we're, you know, 10% strong. It's like, no, God is strong. He's in charge. He, he has authority. Strength. Right. And to a derivative, in a derivative way, we have strength. Right. We mm-hmm. have some authority. Right. And things like that. So, so for those me, are the aspects that we share, mm-hmm. communicable attributes that we do share with the Creator mm-hmm. because we are made as a consequence of being made in his yeah. image. Exactly. And then, in fact, in the passage in Genesis where it talks about make them in his image, let's make man in our own image, it's about humanity ruling, subduing, and exercising dominion over creation, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in one sense, that, that implies that we have some power and strength and authority over some of the things uh, that he has made. Yeah. And when I mean, we think about communicable and incommunicable, what we're talking about is like the ability to communicate who God is. And so there's a sense in which even within the, the communicable attributes, our way of communicating them falls short right. because we can't, in our finance and our humanity, define God exactly how he is. Yeah. No. And we and our relationship is fundamentally different as a result of sin. Yeah. Yeah. But that aspect of sharing, not sharing an attribute, mm-hmm. the communicable portion of it is in the, it's in 120, uh, Genesis 1, uh, 26B, let them have dominion, mm-hmm. let them have authority, let them have power mm-hmm. over uh, the, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock. So that is how we share because it is delegated, that that authority, that mm-hmm. power is delegated to humanity, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so as, as beings created in God's image, uh, we can reflect as creatures some of the attributes of God to creation. And so when we exercise proper authority, when we exert strength in godly ways, it uh, reflects who God is to, to the world. But then we have to, even with the communicable attributes of God, the ones that, that we, we can reflect God in, there are certain ways in which we fall far short. Mm-hmm. Right. So for example, you know, the, the Bible talks about even, faith, uh, even youths go faint and weary. 
Right. But those who wait upon the Lord yep. shall renew their strength. But God is the everlasting God who does not faint or grow right. weary. Yeah. Nor does he need to renew strength. Mm-hmm. But we yeah, so when we exert it. strength, it is limited and it runs out. Right. God has never had to take a break mm-hmm. to catch his breath from doing some activity because his, his strength is, is infinite and inexhaustible. All right, so let's, let's address the question here. Are there some things that God cannot do? And if that's true, is that imply that he is not omnipotent? Yes, there are things God cannot do. And no, it does not imply that he's Good. omnipotent. Unpack that. Um, well, for example, God cannot violate his own character. Okay. Um, he cannot be self-contradictory. Yes, he cannot okay. be self-contradicting. He cannot change. Exactly. He cannot change, right? We, we discussed this, Correct. Uh, I think, two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so, for example, when we say that God is just, God cannot do anything unjust. When we <laughs> say that God is holy, God cannot do anything unrighteous. When we say that God is good and good exists within God, God cannot do anything that is truly bad or not good. <laughs> when we say that God is love, God cannot do anything that is unloving. No matter how that might be interpreted by human exactly. fallen observers. And that is, that's essential to this whole conversation, right? Yeah. Because so, so many of the problems people have uh, in their theological understanding is because they try to equate their understanding and put it on that level, They're right? superimposing the, yes. their mm-hmm. perspective on something mm-hmm. that totally, that they're incapable in their finiteness to understand or grasp. I just saw this today, just today. And someone said to me um, that, how, why are, why do Christians act so unloving? But they, they were mistaking what love is. Correct. And they were essentially saying that it's unloving to uh, call out anybody on in their sin, right? right. To, to exhort anybody to righteousness. Right. Well, my response is that is the most loving thing I can possibly do. To ignore it would be cowardice. Well, in other right. words, what they're really saying is why won't why won't Christians be yeah. complicit yeah, in exactly. our sanctioning of every behavior that comes along? Why won't Christians do that? Because that, in my phrase, is unloving. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Understood. Yeah, any of there are things that God cannot do, and these actually far from showing that he's not perfect or omnipotent, actually only add to the fact. To his perfection. Yeah, that he is. So he, The fact that he cannot sin, that he cannot lie, he cannot die, contradict, cannot die, cannot be contradictory to his yeah. own nature. He can't mm. change. So if God could die, that would undermine his eternality, and therefore he wouldn't be God. If God could lie, that would undermine the fact that he is a God of unyielding truth, and therefore that would undermine his trustworthiness. If God could deny himself, he could, if he could do something contradictory, right. he would cease to be God. And so you have the question... It comes up with God's omnipotence and sovereignty. Can God build a rock so big that he, that can't, he can't lift it? Himself cannot lift it. And, and the, the you it know, quandary. In Catholic, when we yeah. went to Catholic yeah. school in grade school, can God build a rock so yeah. big that even he can't move it? And the, know, qu- the quandary in that question is, you know, there, there's two things that you know s- seem to put God in, in a corner. Yeah. Either there's something God cannot do. He either, can't build a rock. there's a limit to what he can't He can't build do. a rock so big that he can't right. lift it. Or right. if he can build a rock so big that he can lift it, there is a rock out there that he can't lift. Yeah. And yet, a rock so big that God can't lift it is a non-thing. Mm-hmm. So when we say that God's omnipotence is his ability to do all things, or his strength and ability to do whatever he pleases. Mm-hmm. Now that's that's where we dr- drive down to the actual meaning of omnipotence as it relates to the Creator. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think uh, Packard describes this. The power to do everything... 
that in his rational and moral perfection, his wisdom, his goodness, God wills to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be rational because doing something irrational doesn't imply strength or ability or power. It it, it implies foolishness. Yeah. Yeah. Randomness. Foolishness. Can God build a square circle? No. No, because well, the, a, a square line, circle is a non-thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, God can't do exist. nothing. He can't do non-things. <laughs> yes. And so that's why you have, when you're defining omnipotence of God, you know, you're careful to say God has the strength and ability to do whatever he pleases or whatever is in accord with his character. Exactly. With his perfect will. Now yes. I want to be clear here. When your pastor says there's nothing that God cannot do, there's no need to go call him out on that because yeah. I think that well, generally it is, speaking, it is still true. Yes. There's nothing that God cannot yeah. do because a square yeah. circle is not something. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's a non-thing. He cannot do non-thing. He cannot do no thing. Yeah. Yes. So exactly. How does Scripture then detail? The extensiveness of God's sovereignty. How do we see God's omnipotence described for us in Scripture, from Scripture? Yeah, it's one when you tour the Scriptures and you you see the statements laid out when it talks about the things that God is sovereign over in relation to, and you, and you kind of piece them together. You see that there is nothing that falls outside it's of the perfect. sovereignty of God, and even just for example, Proverbs. I think Proverbs wonderfully does. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So the, the seemingly most random, insignificant, small thing like a lot, which is you know, like a dice, is actually under God's sovereignty. Yeah. And then the most powerful, influential person in the world, the king, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So you have the most random thing, the most powerful person, and then Proverbs goes on to say, even our daily lives and plans. You have Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I'm, I'm looking through, the, and I came across this repeatedly as I was going through the Book of Common Prayer, the old Reformed Book of Common Prayer from mm-hmm. the Anglican Church. Psalm 95, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. Mm-hmm. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And the response to that overwhelming majesty is yeah. this in verse 5. For he is, oh, come, uh, verse 6, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because it's really widespread within the poetic books. And I like the way that, because we think about the context of Job, and everything that Job endures. And there's a lot in there about the omnipotence of God. Absolutely. Um, in 37.23, the Almighty is beyond our reach, exalted in power, in His justice and great righteousness, He does not oppress. And then in thir- uh, chapter 11, uh, beginning 7 through 11, He says, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? Right? He's saying <laughs> that God is limitless. <laughs> they are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines you in prison and convenes a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers. And when he sees evil, does he not take note? Mm-hmm. That's, we, we just marvel yeah. at, the, at the beauty of Scripture to describe yeah. something so unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I love uh, Job's conclusion as he... Uh, you know, finally the Lord breaks in and, and breaks up the conversation going around with his friends. Right. 
and speaks to Job, and then Job responds. Job 42.2 is a text yep. I always come back. I know that you, Lord, mm-hmm. can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Yeah. Let's also let's just is a great here. summary. Yeah. Let's just it. note here that Job had no clue what he was talking about when he said the depths of the sea. Right? No, because he, he had no clue. He didn't. But, he wasn't Jacques Cousteau. Think about around yet. us. You know, all of these years later, when we have, we still don't know. They still haven't reached the bottom of the ocean, correct? Right. But but we know that it's it's pretty pretty far down pretty there, far deep. right? And it's <laughs> it's actually one of the most fascinating things. In nature, to me, is the depths of the sea, mm. depths of the ocean. We we had a brief. We we I think spoke at the opening and how how we as humans, as creatures of God, images of God, reflect His attributes. How then do we not? In what ways do we not reflect the mm. attribute of omnipotence? And so we haven't even really gotten to the mm-hmm. question of sovereignty yet. Yeah, it's it's related, but in in this one, like omnipotence implies not just strength but authority, right? As well, and mm-hmm. we have to realize that all or any authority that we have is derived authority. We do not have um, implicit authority. We do not have authority that where we are the source or originator of it. So even as a parent, I have authority over my kids. Right. I have to remind them of this all the time. But even my authority as a parent is derived from the fact that God has established me as the head of that household. And therefore, I am still a man under authority, even though I have authority. Yeah. And even as a pastor, elder of a church, uh, there's authority that I have in the church, but it's a delegated authority right. and one for which I'm accountable to the ultimate authority, which he, is Christ. Yeah, even uh, I'm thinking of Pilate's speech with Jesus, or do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or mm. let you live? He oh, says, yeah. you would have, verse uh, chapter 19, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Yeah, yeah. and that's that uh, statement applies to anyone who is in any position of authority. Yeah. Yeah. It would not be given to you unless you had it from above. Absolutely. It's all, all derived. And then, uh, you know, the one is, as uh, creatures, even though we have some strength, some authority, some ability, we always have to say, with our plans, our actions, whatever, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The James, the James, James 4. The James 4. Yep. yep. If the Lord wills, we'll go about here and we'll do this or that. Our plans are always contingent. God's are not. <laughs> yeah. Our plans are always depend, dependent on God. Yeah. And when we talk about... Uh, just like the communicable side of this. Right. Whenever anything that is scalable can be communicated is kind of how I like to see it, right? So if we can scale something, meaning there's different levels to strength, there's different levels to authority, there's different levels to control, there's different levels to this, right? Not everybody shares the same amount of ability, strength, et cetera. Sure. But but we can communicate because it, it, it in our own sort of human understanding there's a scale, right? So sure. someone can be stronger than you know I am. Someone can be have more authority and be able to do more than I can do, right? Right, and then so we can communicate. God is then far above any human being. So while it's scalable here, it reaches its peak in the person of God. Hmm. It, it's interesting that you re, you reminded me of the story of the centurion. Yeah, who first approaches Jesus on behalf of a servant. Hmm. I too am a man under authority. Hmm. He recognized the authority of Christ mm-hmm. and rec- and acknowledged his own submission to authority in his own life. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. authority had been delegated to him, and he recognized Christ as the source of authority. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. So yeah. the sovereignty question, because yes. this is omnipotence and sovereignty. And so how are those two things related? Well, once it, omnipotence is speaking of how much power God possesses. He possesses all power, all authority. And then sovereignty 
is how extensively God exercises that authority. Okay, to what degree yeah. he is extending? Yeah, so in one, you, you his... could say sovereignty is God's omnipotence in relation to his, his rule and governing of all things. And so God is all-powerful. He has all authority. Therefore, there is nothing that he does not reign and rule over. over. Like R.C. Sproul always, you know, you say, there is not one maverick molecule in the universe. <laughs> if there is one molecule is existing somewhere that somehow was outside of God's sovereignty, then God wouldn't be sovereign. Yeah. Right. And God sustains all of those molecules. Yep. Like he is actively sustaining creation. We forget about that too. Yeah. Um, that in everything we see around us is is currently presently being sustained by God. And in Hebrews 1, he says uh, he sustains all things, the universe, yep. by the word, word of his power. power. And that yeah. is manifested in the person of Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. who is sustaining all things, even as an infant, being changed by his mother. Mm-hmm. It's really remarkable yeah. to think about. Yeah, and so you think that statement, he sustains all things by the word of his power. Well, that word refers to even the word that was spoken in creation to bring all things into existence. So the same God, the same power that God used to bring things into existence, he continues to exercise in upholding all of those things. I mean, the very fabric that that holds things together so they don't just fall apart right. and disassemble. Or spin out of spin yes. out of control here. Yeah, so the same power that God exerted at creation, and what he's constantly exerting every moment to uphold yeah. and sustain and keep those things going. Mm-hmm. Like like Jonathan Edwards, uh, you know, famous theologian from early American times, would, would speak of the act of continuous creation. Not in that God is recreating things all the time, but, but sustaining the he's original. using that original power of creation constantly to uphold. You know, if God stops speaking, we stop existing. Right. God is constantly using his word. The to original uphold. source of renewable energy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you All go. All renewable energy is from that powerful word, the word of that power. Yeah. How does how does the the subject of God's sovereignty then apply as a comfort to his believers, to his people, as they suffer affliction? Well, I'll read R.C. Sproul's quote on this. He says, We know that the same power God displayed in creating the universe is at his disposal to assure our salvation. He showed that power in Exodus from Egypt. He displayed his power over death and the resurrection of Christ. We know that no part of creation can frustrate his plans for the future. There are no maverick molecules, what Andrew Mm -hmm. just said, loose in the universe that could possibly disrupt his plans. Mm -hmm. And so that, and I, we're going to get into prayer later, so I don't want to get into it now, but this really is a great comfort as we pray. Yeah. Because when you're praying, you're coming to the realization that there's nothing that happens that God does not will. Nothing. And that if God wills something, if God wills pain and suffering in your life, right. as a believer, you know that that is for your good, even though you may not be able to understand. We, we just finished watching Chariots of Fire, a remarkable movie, 1981. <laughs> the music, obviously, won Academy, but so did the, the film itself. The film, yeah. But the subject matter, a devout Christian, uh, Olympic runner, Eric Little, a Scotsman, uh, who won't run on the Sabbath mm-hmm. and yet stands firm in the face of you know powerful persuasion. But he subsequently went to the ministry field in China and died in a Japanese internment camp in mm-hmm. 1945. Mm-hmm. His suffering was obviously uh, 
subject of uh, cruelty of the enemies of God's people, the Japanese internment camp that he suffered in, and yet even he drew comfort from God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you think of the story of Joseph, mm. a story in which you see great injustice happening. I mean, his brothers in their jealousy, you know, his father probably wasn't wise to pick a favorite when you have that many brothers. <laughs> and Joseph didn't help them out. No, no. He he, I mean, he just was telling the dream. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did with a, an air of arrogance, but he sold into slavery mm. by his brothers. Then he's unjustly accused of trying to commit sexual sin, which he was not trying to do. He's left in prison, forgotten there. And yet when it's all said and done, when he is talking with his brothers. He said, what you meant for evil, mm-hmm. right. God meant for good to Amen. bring about the salvation of many. And so where that comforts the believer is that even in the face of injustice and evil, we know that those somehow don't compromise God's omnipotence. They don't thwart his plan. God can use even those, and he rules and overrules those things for the accomplishing of his purposes. And so that promise of Romans eight twenty eight, we know that for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, He works all things. And later, Paul goes on to describe those all things. He says there's nothing in all of creation, neither life nor death, nor yeah. things present, past, you know, angels, whatever. He goes through all these different things that would scare us and could potentially see you know, overcoming us. And he says nothing. Nothing can thwart. We're, we're held secure. That's, and, go ahead. And we see that too reflected in the gospel itself. Right. In the life of Christ himself. Yeah. Jesus endured suffering. Injustice. Right? He endured injustice. injustice. And then what are we what are we told in Acts 2.23? That Jesus was handed over. He was handed over to be flogged, to be crucified, spat upon, mocked, to shed his blood according to God's deliberate plan. Right. That even in that horrible suffering that Christ experienced on the cross, it was for God's deliberate plan and for the good of his people. You know, that's, that, you, that you bring that up because I think in certain contexts, as people suffer for the cause of Christ, there is no prime minister in Egypt role for them, is there? Yeah. I'm looking at uh, Pink is uh, quoting Spurgeon in this, under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, his children, God's children, believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. Mm-hmm. So even in the midst of horrific, horrendous suffering, uh, where there is no real relief except death, mm-hmm. the, I mean, the, the Hebrews, uh, Hebrews, the Hall of Fame passage mm-hmm. where it ends, uh, where is it here? 1136 uh, 11, where, where it just cuts in half, mm-hmm. and they say, when women received back their dead from resurrection, hashtag, some were tortured, refusing to accept. And it just goes all in this. Some were people, sawed in half. It even mentions. I know. So they, they, didn't, they didn't receive the prime ministry of Egypt. They mm-hmm. didn't receive yeah. all these great glories. Mm-hmm. And, they never saw the promises. They died in their faith. Yep. Yep. When we, but when we're trusting in God's goodness, when we're right. trusting in, in his hidden plan, we know what that plan is. Right. It's, not that it, it's not a mystery to us. The plan is the plan of redemption that began in Genesis and will end in the glory of the saints. And so, but during this time, and I'm thinking of First Peter here, these these Christians in First Peter are enduring suffering. They're enduring hardships, and it's not only that God is working behind the scenes, working for their good, 
and that that they just trust in that. But it's also he's coming back, yeah. and to look forward to the second coming, look forward to eternity, because ultimately that's when we receive the inheritance that First Peter talks about. Yeah, yeah, and, and with God's sovereignty, where we as believers have to properly reckon with it is God's sovereignty doesn't mean that he's going to work all circumstances favorably for us, which we would love. (laughs) Which would be great. And that's why God's sovereignty doesn't mean he's going to keep us from these harmful things. It means he ultimately he will keep us in and Mm. through them. And I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they're standing before that fiery furnace, and they say to those onlookers, the Babylonian onlookers who are putting them there because they refuse to bow down to the idol, they say, the Lord can deliver us from this, but even if he doesn't. If not, but if not. He's still in charge, he's still good, and we will still continue to honor him. Yeah. And that's that's the proper perspective that we need. Because we, we too much we too often fall into a, a subtle prosperity gospel that says God is sovereign, mm-hmm. and so he's gonna make things work out nicely for mm-hmm. me. And yet Job says, The Lord gives and the Lord, the Lord takes, takes away. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So whether there's a virus that infects us or afflicts us in some way, whether it's economic turmoil that affects us or inflicts us, that in no way diminishes God's sovereignty one milligram. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is still in charge, and he's still working things, working all things together for our good. And Spurgeon makes that clear in his last statement, for our sanctification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For us to become Christ-like is God's great agenda. Yes. And that is clearly not done without the context of suffering, is it? Yeah. Well, that's interesting because Jonathan Edwards had that written uh, in Romans 8. He had it written, he, the, the quote was that he put there was that suffering or that good here, the good, when, when Paul says that God does all things for the good of his people, um, the good is not referring to comfort. It's not referring to any earthly good, but it is referring very specifically to our sanctification. Yeah, and that's why as American Christians, we, we get yeah. mixed up. We mix up the Constitution with the Scripture. The Constitution gives us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily God's goal no. for us in all things. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, we will experience life, life abundantly, mm-hmm. joy unceasing in heaven, all mm-hmm. those things. But, but here, it's not our temporary happiness, our temporary pursuit of pleasure that the Lord is after. He's after our eternal good, our character being refined, all these things. Mm-hmm. So how then should we receive the gracious gifts of God graciously without presuming for their continuation? The Did gospel. I say that correctly? Yeah. yeah. How, how, do we, how, do we, how do we receive those good things knowing that we do live in an era, in a culture, in a place where we do enjoy mm. many of the graces that God mm-hmm. has extended to us in this time without clutching them so tightly that we have to have them or we're discontented? Mm. Mm. Well... First of all, I don't think anybody should reject. If God allows you to experience comfort, that is not a bad thing. Right? No, right. We don't reject that. We shouldn't and, just sign yeah, off. Exactly. Hey, I'm going to go, not, let's not, not reject yeah. in the form of asceticism yeah. where, you know. Or I'm a poverty to... theology where <laughs> we let's re- swing the pendulum. We, <laughs> we receive them and we do see them as a blessing. Right. But we need to be careful, right? Um, and not to presume. And, and yeah, so for example, right, if, if God blesses us financially right. and we want for nothing, mm-hmm. everything we have is at our disposal. And guess what? This is many Americans, oh, yeah. probably uh, more so in our current situation in, in 21st century America than in the history of the world. Yeah. We need to make sure that those are not hindering our sanctification, right. that those are not 
um, allowing us to just delight in all of our comfort while we do not serve, while we do not uh, bear witness to the gospel at all, while we do nothing with our Christianity. Right. Because that is a, a very real danger. And in that situation, in those circumstances, if it's hindering your sanctification, that is not a blessing from God. No. Right? That no, is a tool fact, of it Satan. It could be a chastisement yeah. from God. You're, you're yeah, right. I mean, First Timothy mentions that all things created by God are good and should be received with yes. thanksgiving so that right. one of the ways we receive them is we thank God yep. for them. Amen. So it acknowledges the source and they are sanctified by the word and prayer. Mm-hmm. So when we saturate them in a scripture reading, which scripture is our guide to how to use the gifts, prayer is the means to continually help our own hearts to properly receive and, and utilize the gifts, then we're protecting ourselves from a, a sinful hedonism, a, a worldliness. Mm-hmm. So that way we're... we're using them with a divine perspective that's saturated in the word of God. We're holding them loosely. So when they're taken from our hands, we can say with Job, mm. the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed it's, be the name yes. of the Lord. And and even, you know, the Bible talks about fasting. There, there, there are times and, way, and, and seasons in which Christians should abstain from things that are good in and of themselves mm. so that they can help you know, detox their soul from the, the sinful effects yeah. uh, of being... Uh, you know, hedonistic and and mm. being a, a materialistic and different yeah. things like that. And so. I think maybe the the way we can think through this is let us ask ourselves the question: If I woke up tomorrow morning and all of these things, mm. all of my stuff that I love so much that give me such satisfaction and comfort and happiness right. were taken away, how would I respond? Would it strictly be "Woe is me, God! How dare you!" Or would it be "Lord, Your will be done"? Right. And the Lord gives us, and the Lord takes away. How would we respond? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the question that we need to ask ourselves as a litmus test for, uh, it, are, are these things that we have being used for our sanctification, are they being received with thanksgiving to the glory of God? I don't have a scriptural basis, but in circumstances like that, I generally have a rule of about uh, two hours of pity party. And then get back <laughs> yeah. out with your game. Yeah. Yes. You know, depending it, on the size yeah. of the loss, yeah. absolutely. And so. I think another good way, when God sovereignly blesses us with material things and, and you know we acknowledge those one way to constantly use them properly is to make sure you're blessing others with those things yeah in, in the bible Amen. the rhythm is con- god blesses yeah. yes not a cul-de-sac yeah you know, piper always talks about, don't be a cul-de-sac <laughs> where the blessings dead end be a conduit god blesses us to be a blessing to others so mm-hmm. he blesses us with uh wealth and uh a home and a shelter like use that as a blessing for others and then you're you know you're doing it properly I, I, I think we started our timer a bit off, so I may not be accurate on this. I, I'll just keep going. I'll get on this mm-hmm. here. God's omnipotent. Omnip, uh, omnipotent. Hashtag, what was the word again? <laughs> God's all power. How about that? God's omnipotence and sovereignty connected and displayed in the gospel. Mm. Clearly, we have the demonstration of power and authority. Yeah. In the person of Christ, who says all power, mm-hmm. all authority, exousia, all all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me as the Son of mm-hmm. God. I mean, you see, uh, West pointed this out earlier. You see God's sovereignty and and omnipotence displayed in the arrangement of the events mm-hmm. of the gospel. I mean, just think, you have here Judas, one of the disciples, who wants to betray Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, and yet even that falls under the foreordained plan of God, which is used to get Jesus arrested, which is used to get Jesus before Herod and Pilate, which is used to put him on the cross, which is the place in which he dies for the sins of his people. Mm. 
And then ultimately in the resurrection, three days later, you see the power God displayed in giving his son victory over the enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And up to that point, death had been undefeated. Yeah, and, and death you is know. finally, he, he vanquished, not even death can hold the Son of God. Yes. And we've been speaking about, you know, in the news there's mortality rate and yeah. death rate. Up to that point, the death rate was 100%. There, <laughs> there was not a single person mm. who hadn't <laughs> fall victim to death. <laughs> That's right. 100% of people who live die, except for Christ, yeah. who defeats death. And it, how it's displayed in weakness. Yeah. That First Corinthians speaks of, of God displaying his power through weakness. The, a crucified king... Mm. Is going to be is going to redeem man from what? Yeah, yes. it, it staggers the imagination. Yeah. yeah, and you just look at the way that God preserved His plan. Like yeah. nothing could thwart God's plan. Uh, he says in Genesis three that that Jesus, right, the descendant of Eve, will crush the skull, and then Christ is crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull. Yeah. Right? Crushing the skull, crushing the head of the serpent, crushing Satan, sin and death. Right. And so this was God's plan clearly in the beginning from Genesis. And then it ends right at the coming of Christ. Nothing can thwart God's plan. So that's how we see the omnipotence and sovereignty in the gospel. Wow. Yeah, remarkable. Well, guys, it has been a remarkable time. I mean, such I, we literally in thirty minutes we've squeezed out every iota, every nuance and meaning in two times. <laughs> well, maybe next week. Yes. So, but uh, we are here uh, to uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, we do have merch available, do we not? We got to build that website up. We got that Presbyterian <laughs> yeah. Quarantine exclusive coffee cups. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will be back next week. Thank you for joining us. I want to thank my co-hosts here, my uh, good friends here, Wes Lover, Andrew Jacobson. Pray for your ministry this week, gentlemen. And we will see you next week on Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee. This episode of Presbyterians in Quarantine Drinking Coffee is now over. You may now exit the quarantine zone.